Hey everyone, this is Jim Mitchell, welcoming you back to another edition of Chicago's Legal Latte as we come to you with our video version. Uh, for those of you who are able to download uh, video, we still have our audio component going on Blog Talk Radio as well. And uh, today we're going to kind of bring to a close a three-part discussion we've had uh, with uh, Ted McGinn of Lavelle Law, Bill Germanotti of Impact Business Coaching, and David Bronsky of North Coast Capital Advisors as we talk about the closing. Uh, so far, we've talked about the uh, business transaction process from letter of intent to due diligence, and uh, now we kind of get to the end of net strengths. But first of all, uh, Bill, Dave, and Ted, thank you for being here. Good to see you guys again. Looking forward to our conversation today. Good to see you. Thank you. Good to be here. Yep. Good to be here again, Jim. So, um, Ted, I know you've been through many of these. We talk about the closing. You've had uh, offers and, and a lot of research done, maybe months worth of work. It's time to actually sign the papers. Um, who's going to come to the closing? Uh, what, what, who are the critical people to be involved? Well, obviously, the parties, the buyer, the seller, they typically are there, of course. Also, their attorneys representing each party normally has an attorney. And then beyond there, it kind of comes down to the nature of the transaction. You could have a lender involved. There could be a cash deal. There could be a title company involved if you're dealing with a real estate component. Um, so there's a number of other, you know, sometimes there's brokers who want to get their commission. So it's, you know, it's a, a variety of parties that could be at the closing. And as they show up, uh, a lot of work has been done. Uh, hopefully everything's in place. What what, what do they bring with them? Are there materials, are there documents, or do they show up with a pen in hand and ready to go? Yeah, well, the buyer, you know, they need to bring their money. You know, they're, typically they're, uh, they're gonna bring some, some payment of some sort to the closing. It could be uh, cash, it could be a promissory note, some sort of payment that they're gonna bring. And then of course a seller, they need to bring the deliverables, which is typically uh, in an asset purchase, it would be a bill of sale. And then in a, case of a stock deal, you're going to have these securities that are going to be transferred. So that's that's the fundamental important components that you're going to bring to the closing. Then of course, beyond there, it's all in nature of the transaction. Mm -hmm. um, Bill, you've been you know doing these for 40 years, working with small, mid-sized businesses, uh, most recently the last 20 or so as a business consultant. Um, you know, as you walk into these events, they've probably evolved. And I know in recent years, they've become more of a remote virtual event. Is that what you're seeing now? Is that perhaps the, the trend we're going to see is we don't all have to be in the same room anymore? Yeah, I, I actually, I, I see people who really want to press the flesh still mm -hmm. um, and uh, seeing the other face. Um, so you know, I, I, you know, even through the pandemic, I, I saw some resistance to the uh, remote closings. Um, uh, a lot of times in this space, it's still a very personal transaction, and um, yeah, people want to really uh, do a good transition. So yeah, I, I don't, I, I see the remote closing more for people who are traveling or not everyone can make it save some travel time, uh, got a few extra people on the call. So it's more convenience with a remote mm -hmm. rather than uh, uh, the pandemic related. Got it. I, I agree. Uh, uh, since 2018, all the closings we've been involved with have been remote. Uh, one was because of a snow day, uh, but it's been, e it is easier to do. 
Uh, and usually when you get to the closing table, it's really formality of let's sign the documents and, and move forward. Uh, hopefully all the other issues have been resolved by that point in time. Um, that's but that's not always, let me jump in real quick. That's yeah. not always the case. Sometimes issues are not resolved and that where you get the face-to-face -face closing, you got some additional haggling and negotiation coming on. So again, it's a function of the nature of the particular transaction. Yeah, I mean, and, yeah. and I think uh, what I see at the last minute is working capital inventory type issues uh, yeah. where the number hasn't been really nailed down. Uh, and th those are always like the things that, okay, how do we get, to get around this? So, yeah, yeah. And Dave, I want to jump in there. Uh, you have a, a boutique MA investment bank. You serve lower middle market companies, as uh, you've mentioned, you've been doing this a long time. And Ted mentioned money. You know, we've, we've got to have the exchange at the closing. Um, talk us through what happens financially at this. Are, you know, are there outstanding loans that need to be paid off? How does they, that do get they bring done? a briefcase of cash? Is that how you do it? <laughs> I, I, by the way, I've had a client that actually was bringing 200,000 in cash that we, we couldn't do because of, you know, obvious reasons, but uh, no, uh, usually uh, the, the cash at closings all decided upon uh, beforehand, if it's going to be wire or certified check, so, um, you know, at the, at the closing table, it's really, okay, is the wire going through, make the call, we'll get the confirmation. If it's a certified check, it's, it's presented at the closing table. And with that, are there current concerns? I read everywhere about uh, cybersecurity issues, scams, uh, you know, when you start wiring money, uh, unfortunately, it seems to be a little more tenuous than it used to be. How are we protecting against issues there? Uh, well, from my perspective, wire transfers are pretty secure because it is bank to bank and, you know, they've got their network. Um, if it goes outside the, the normal banking system, I'd say a big caution flag goes up as to how do you make sure that your money is secure? Yeah, the, the big scan that happens is um, an email will be intercepted. Parties are exchanging wire information via email. And if somebody is has some sort of malware downloaded on the computer, they could they could see that email back and forth, jump in and send another email to hey we've updated our wire information. These are the new wire instructions. And of course, the email appears to be a legitimate email from one of the mm -hmm. parties, but it's really a faulty email uh, providing false wire information. And if you're not careful, you will end up wiring money. To the wrong account, some fraudsters account. So what we try to tell our clients then, you need to verify wire information over the phone. I mean, you, you can exchange the email, that's great, but there has to be some sort of verification over the phone. In my, uh, in my prior career, I was a cash manager for uh, multiple uh, Fortune 500 companies. So I would handle the wire transfers and there was, you, you knew the banker, the banker knew you, you had all the authority uh, granted to you by the uh, uh, management team. But uh, if there was something that was out of whack, the bank will circle back and call like the treasurer or the CFO or somebody if something doesn't look right. So in, in the lower middle market, you don't have that type of uh, security setup. So it, it's really make sure you're with your banker, your banker is at, at the uh, closing with you. Let's, um, let's jump into the closing meeting itself. We're about uh, halfway through our conversation today with uh, Ted McGinn of LaBelle Law, Bill Germanotti of Impact Business Coaching 
and David Gronsky, president of North, Cap, North Coast Capital Advisors, we're talking about closings. And uh, at the closing, who, who who's running the meeting? And, and uh, is there a closing statement or document that sort of serves as the agenda so everyone knows what's happening in what order? Yeah, I mean, usually the seller's attorney is probably the one that, I guess, for lack of a better person, running the, the closing. Um, yeah, but it could take place at a number of locations, a buyer's attorney's office, seller's attorney's office, sometimes at the actual location of the business. Uh, so it could be a number of different locations. But the closing statement you mentioned, Jim, that's kind of an important document, and that's something that parties will execute at the closing. The closing statement is going to track and follow the funds flow, you know, who's going to get paid what, because a lot of times yeah, you think the, the seller is going to get the money. Well, there may be a number of costs that also have to be satisfied uh, out of those closing proceeds, perhaps a payoff letter for a lender, uh, a commission for a broker. There could be some, you know, maybe a cost or survey, other, other fees that are associated with it all should be paid at the closing. All that is summarized in the closing statement. And the other thing, as Dave mentioned earlier, working capital reconciliation issues or inventory issues, all that is kind of covered under the closing statement as well. So, uh, Dave or Bill, maybe you guys can help me out here because as we look at the, the due diligence process has been taking place, but both companies are still running, even up to the point you walk into the, to the meeting, they're, they're uh, conducting business you know, at that very point. But there's variables. So things like uh, inventory that Ted mentioned and, and um, maybe uh, sales that are in progress, who's tracking all that and how does that factor in to make sure everything's reconciled? Well. The, uh, the company's running a uh, uh, normal business, okay? The, the accountants, the, the business is, is run as normal. The buyer's going to put his two, uh, two cents into looking at verifying all the data. Usually, like inventory and working capital, uh, you look at when you're closing on the calendar, does the business have a, uh, a different cycle? You know, uh, is it like a, a big year end deal or is it consistent throughout the year? So you're looking for nor normality of what that will be at the time of your closing. You, you target a number and then at the closing table, uh, and usually it's probably a two weeks to a month after the closing, you what we call true up the number to say, okay, here, here's, here's the difference between what we targeted and what the actual amount is. And, and the true up will either be a credit to the uh, uh, buyer or uh, a debit to the seller. So. Good. Good. Um, and and uh, there's been a term I, I saw here, bulk sales holdback. I've not heard that before. Can someone kind of walk me through that? Yeah, I could take a step at that. I mean, um, in Illinois and in a number of other states, they have what is known as a bulk sales act. Uh, what that means is anytime you have an asset transaction where a buyer is transferring substantially all of their assets to a seller, the, the buyer is required to notify the, in Illinois, the Illinois Department of Revenue and other states, whatever the state taxing authority would be, mm -hmm. notify them of this pending uh, bulk sales. And then the state will prepare some sort of an estimate of the sales tax liabilities or employment tax liabilities they'll estimate what they think the seller is gonna owe through the, you know, through the normal operation of the business. And they'll tell the parties, hold back this estimate from the closing and until those final uh, tax returns are prepared 
and filed by the seller. And it basically, it's a, it's, a, it's a way for the state to make sure they get paid their, their taxes that are due to them. Now, the, the key component there, if this is not followed, the buyer could be held liable for the seller's taxes. So this is important for the buyer to follow this as well. Interesting. A um, couple of minutes left. And, and Bill, I want to turn to you because in our previous conversation about due diligence, we talked about uh, how you communicate with employees. Uh, they may or may not know something's happening. They'll see activity around the office. Now the deal is getting done. What's the protocol for communicating with employees really on, on either side once a deal is finalized? Well, there's, there's different uh, levels of transparency with the employees, uh, kind of, a, you know, depending on what kind of grouping they're in. There's uh, most likely a lot of key employees that already know uh, their, uh, the buyer uh, probably wants to make sure that they're going to come with the business. It's an important part of the business that uh, continues to run. Uh, the, um, there may be some rank and file where it's, um, we kind of, you know, set up uh, shortly thereafter a, uh, a company-wide meeting and really focus on the excitement uh, of that. Uh, a lot of times I like having the seller part of that. So it can, uh, the nature of it and uh, sometimes what the seller can uh, say positively can set it on the right tone and why, why they chose this seller. Uh, we touched on along the way in this, this series about some of the motivations of the seller uh, or the hesitation. So and they certainly want to cash out, get a good price, um, but they do care about in this space, they do care about their customers and they do care about their employees and uh, participating in that, that transition usually is something they want to do and mm -hmm. can be really very, very effective. It's a delicate we, we have a, sorry, go I, ahead, Dave. I'm sorry, we have deal right now. It's a good sized deal. Uh, there's four key employees. One is in the know of, of the transaction that's taking place and we've sort of already negotiated her position, but the other three actually uh, are holding up the final purchase price because the buyer wants to make sure he knows how he's gonna compensate them and you know how's that gonna figure into um, the value of the company. Uh, going forward. So, uh, and we're sort of, we're, we're trying to push that to the last minute as, as much as possible. Um, but the buyer's got a right to know. And, sure. uh, you know, again, it's, it's very cautious because the employee, if they get wind of, hey, I've got a powerful position here, I'm going to renegotiate this. And they could, they could screw up the whole transaction by what they might demand. So mm -hmm. it's a very delicate uh, balancing act. Yeah, I, I would say that's one reason why if you're thinking about selling or just a normal operating procedure, you may want to lock in your key employees and written agreements. So in a situation like that, you're able to transfer and assign those rights under those employment agreements. And that way you minimize any leverage these key employees may have to hold up a deal and renegotiate. And then the other thing I might add, sellers are often kind of worried about notifying employees, especially the rank and file employees too early because if a deal falls apart, the worry is, okay, now these, these employees, they're not sure, there's a lot of uncertainty, should they start looking for a job and it can disrupt the normal operations of the business. So the seller tries to hold back as late as possible on the rank and file notification. Well, um, we're gonna wrap things up here. As always, I wanna thank uh, Ted McGinn, managing partner at LaBelle Law and of course, uh, 
many years of doing this podcast, both audio and video. You can reach Lavelle Law at 847-705-7555. Um, Bill, why don't you just give a quick uh, recap here of where we can reach you to find out more about your business? Yeah, my, my cell is great. Texting is great these days. Uh, 847-544-6878. And uh, we help companies that you know, sometimes we, we first touch people when they're in trouble. Uh, but one of our fun parts are when they're transitioning either to family or a third party sale and uh, trying to make sure that legacy lives on. Thank you, Bill. It's uh, Bill Germanati of Impact Business Coaching. And David, a uh, quick recap from you. Sure. Uh, feel free to call me at 312-259-5876, North Coast Capital Advisors. You could go to our website. Uh, we're, we're always available. I've got two other partners that are with me. So uh, we, we jump on things pretty quickly. Well, thank you all. It's been a great series. Certainly look forward to uh, having the chance to talk again down the road. But thank you very much for being a part of the podcast. Thank you. Thanks all.